Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lost Teams podcast. It's part two of episode 21 that we aired last week, our second interview with Shannon Lovelady. We had such a good time uh, uh, talking to her last week that we figured there's more stories to hear, more awesome just history and facts from uh, the first or the most recent women's professional baseball team that played in the in the mid-90s, the Colorado Silver Bullets, which Shannon played for for all four seasons they were in existence. And we had a great time first episode, so we figured why not do it again? Uh, Shannon, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, Shannon. Hi. We talked about a lot of stuff last week, but it was it was all it was hilarious and interesting and, and uh, kind of all sorts of different uh memories that it brought back for me even hearing about Fenway and I'm sure for Andrew of course field but uh one story you told us at after recording that we thought would be awesome to hear live was a story from when you're in, in the Silver Bullets were playing in South Carolina and you had a little run-in with some bratty kids <laughs> yeah um so as I mentioned um my closest friends and and family they know that um, had I not been a professional baseball player, my other dream job is, was to be a, a professional mascot. So <laughs> I, uh, I've always just thought it was hilarious. And I think my love, you know, for that happened early on with going to watch, um, the San Diego chicken, you know, he would travel around and, um, when the Braves games were not that interesting cause they were so bad, <laughs> we would just, you know, we'd try and always catch the San Diego chicken. So um, I've always had kind of a fondness for um, mascots, um, whether it's minor league or, or uh, professional. So um, we were playing at, in the Charleston River Dogs, and they had this huge, you know, um, big-headed kind of look like a basset hound type mascot. And um, so he was kind of hanging out in the bullpen area, and I was down there um, catching a bullpen, warming up you know, a pitcher and, and uh, my roommate, she happened to be warming up another pitcher next to me. And she was hilarious. Allie Gaches, she was just, you know, just a funny human being. And so she would just banner with kids and she loved kids. She, so she was always really sweet to kids. And, um, but there were some little bratty kids down there and our, our baseballs actually had the Colorado silver bullets, you know, logo on it. So it was kind of a, a cool thing. You know, if you were able to catch a foul ball or something so these kids they kept saying hey give us a ball hey why don't you give us a ball come on and uh we only had you know we, we were like well these are just our, these are our balls to warm up with I'm sorry you know we can't we can't give you one of these we're sorry and uh um you know we were always really we wanted to be able to keep playing professional baseball so when they talked about budget you know we were we listened we didn't we didn't want salaries <laughs> cut we didn't want you know players to get cut so um so we said no sorry kids you know we can't give you one well they called us an ugly word they you know they called us the b word they said well you guys are just you know b and uh we were we couldn't believe it because these kids were like you know nine ten years old Jeez. so this river dog mascot he he catches wind of this he hears <laughs> he hears this going on and the kids just you know then really started laying into us so he goes over to him and <laughs> he tells them he takes his he takes his big river dog you know head off and he says listen here you little shits if you don't leave these girls alone i'm gonna go and i'm gonna run you off and tell your your parents not to ever bring you back here you know so it was just it was hilarious it was like something straight out of bull durham or you know major, major it, reminds, it reminds me of uh it reminds me of um i think it's tommy boy tommy boy or, or black yes. sheep were, were oh, he's sitting in the boat 
he's like, if you don't shut up, I'm going to come over there and jam an oar up your alley. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's, uh, that's what is, is exactly. And, and we just, we stood up and we were just like, we were high-fiving this river dog. And I mean, he was hilarious. He was just like a college kid, you know, just trying to make some extra money. And we said, hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having our back, you know. Yeah, it's also a tough thing. I mean, the reason why is a tough thing to explain to a little kid too. Like that's not an enviable position, and that you, <laughs> that you all were restrained enough not to to do what he did. He, that that's that's uh, says a lot about your patience and stuff because you can't exactly be like, well, the budget. We don't know. We have these balls. We need them, and we don't, like that. I, <laughs> yeah. that's a tough spot to be in. Going into the whole fiscal uh, report of the silver bullets, you know, and um, and it, I think it broke my roommate's heart the most because she was such a she loved kids so much, and and then for them to just like stab her in the back, she was like, oh, I can't believe you're so you're so mean. You know? So you said oh, you yeah. like mascots. You you have um always been interested in possibly being one. If you didn't get into baseball, what's your favorite current mascot in sports? Uh, you know, um, well. The Braves, I'm, you know, being an Atlanta, Atlanta girl, you know, the, the Braves one now is he's pretty funny blooper. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm not a Philly fan by any stretch of the imagination, but you got to love the Philly fanatics still. He's, oh yeah. You know, and then, um, we, when we got to play at Shea stadium with the silver bullets, of course uh -huh. I had to get my picture taken with, with the big ball head. And I don't even know. His Mr. Name. Matt, Mr. Matt, Mr. Yeah. Matt, I think. Got, yeah. Mr. Matt. Picture taken with him. And so, um, but yeah, the the AAA um, club for the Braves, um, the Gwinnett Stripers, um, they used to have when they were the just AAA Gwinnett Braves, they had um, a groundhog, they had Chopper. And um, so I was actually pregnant, or I, I can't remember if I was pregnant with my first child or if she had just been born, but they were having tryouts. And same thing, my mom reads it in the paper. And she says, if you want to go try out to be the mascot, I you know, I'm like, let me see here. I'm a, you know, the first time mother. Yeah, I think I better let that be. My energy <laughs> level isn't That's exactly hilarious. on the, on the uh, required level, uh, I'm sure, <laughs> uh, yeah. to be a, for the mascot. That's required for a mascot when, when, you're, when you're pregnant. That's got to be tough. <laughs> yeah. So my husband, he's, you know, Josh, he's head football coach at a big high school here in Georgia at Mill Creek High School, and they're the Hawks. And so they have, they have a really good mascot. I mean, they spent, they spent a lot of money, and, you know, and I teased the athletic director um because he was a good friend of mine and I said hey we don't have a when the school first opened I said we don't have a mascot yet and I'm just telling you if there's no students that step up I will be willing to that's <laughs> nice <laughs> you know? and uh he said no you know you can't do that and I said it would be a great story you know everybody would be like well you know Shannon and Josh I, I wonder why she doesn't come to any of the games she doesn't support him so I know she loves football and they wouldn't realize that I would be inside the hawk suit i would be on the sidelines like messing with the coaches and everything you know? yeah <laughs> that is that's great that sounds that that would be funny too bad you, hopefully you do get an opportunity to do that at some point at some point yeah before my knees give out when you when so. when you retire it might be something you could get into <laughs> yeah exactly so anyway that's uh the mascots they I, I think that that's what helps keep you know the the minor league sports great so oh yeah well, and Atlanta has the Flash. Have you seen him? The guy that runs the from foul pole to foul pole. I haven't. Um, you need to, yeah, you need to YouTube that. He's unbelievable. He's a speedster, and so somebody always challenges him 
he got beat the other night actually oh oh i think i did see a highlight of that somebody somebody beat him a couple months ago like by a lot it might have been a former player or a current player who was decided just decided to get into it or something maybe i'm misremembering but yeah there was a good I saw it. I didn't see who it was. So yeah, maybe it wasn't just recently. It was maybe it was just something that came up and I just hadn't seen it. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think Andrew, you mentioned you, you had a, a question specifically about the the name of the team and the sponsorship. Um, go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, I wanted to just, you know, ask you a little bit more about, about um, I think we might have talked a bit a bit about in the first episode, but could you tell me a little bit more about the Coors Brewing Company sponsorship of the Silver Bullet? Yes. Um, so, you know, I think that um, we kind of, we, we talked, touched on a lot of things in the first um, show, but um, I, I definitely wanted to thank Coors Brewing Company because they, you know, if they hadn't stepped up and decided, hey, let's do something different and, you know, innovative, then, then myself and my teammates would have never gotten us that opportunity so mm-hmm. um they that's that's where the colorado silver bullets name came from from coors brewing company um you know that's what they call their beers silver bullet and uh you know it was that was in 94 and so i guess the idea was kind of it came bob hope was was our owner um robert hope um, otherwise known as bob hope and um, so not the Bob Hope comedian, but he's the Bob Hope in my mind because he's <laughs> the one that like, gave us this opportunity. Um, and he, he was the was guy, working, he was the, um, you had mentioned he, before, he was the guy who worked for the Braves previously, it, correct? Exactly. He was PR and um, he worked, you know, closely with Ted Turner and he did all these, you know, crazy um just in between inning things, you know, just anything to help market the Braves um he was a part of it and so he had come up with three ideas um and he has two daughters so his daughters you know fell in love with baseball and he started to kind of realize you know my my girls love baseball but there's not really any opportunities for for them you know to play baseball so um he had three ideas and one of them was the silver bullets and um he wanted a women's professional baseball team that would just kind of, you know, barnstorm the country. And there weren't really, there weren't any other women's baseball teams to play. So that's why we played men. I know a lot of people probably don't realize that that's the reason, but there just, there weren't any other women's baseball teams. So we had, in order to be able to play, you have to have somebody to play, right? You you know, you don't have to um, have an opponent. So um, he opposed the, the idea, I think cores at that time, they were way low on the beer advertising chain. You know, the big one was Budweiser, um, then probably Miller Lite. You know, they were all, they spent a lot more money annually um, on advertising than Coors. I, I don't remember the figure off the top of my head, but it was unbelievable how little that Coors spent um, just advertising. Um, so for them to like, say hey this you know let's do this i mean it was kind of completely it it took a lot a lot of people could not believe that cores decided to do it because because of that because it wasn't like that they spent you know that they had a prior history of spending a lot of money on um on pr stuff so so they did they stepped up and um our budget they spent about two million dollars a year 
So for four years, you know, they, they put in over $8 million. Um, and you know, that paid for our travel, for our salaries, um, you know, just everything advertising the every, every stadium that we went to and played, they'd have to set up. I mean, imagine like, um, the people that drove our truck, Mike King and then Patrick Matthews, there, there were our, um, like he was our clubby, um, that mm -hmm. took care of, you know, our equipment as well as, um, the, uh, memorabilia that was sold there, all the souvenirs, you know, they were the, they were the unsung heroes. I mean, they're, we're having to show up in a different, um, city about every four or five days, three, four or five days and set everything back up, have these booths and, so it was crazy, you know, and um, so after towards the, we had a few other minor sponsors, like, um, you know, people that did, I mean, we, you know, we wore Reebok spikes, uh, we wore Mizuno spikes one year, Mizuno provided gloves, um, but but one thing that you guys may not under, realize or know that we, we used wooden bats that first year. Mm. Wow. And so we each had our own Louisville Slugger signature bat. Um, That's cool. Do you still have? Do you still have one of them? I have all of that. Look, you can nice. see. Nice. Oh. Well, you can see all this. I have a lot of different things, but here's. I know that those listening can't see this, but I have um, all of my, you know, wooden bats. Um, we broke them. That's what they realized very quickly was that, you know, not only had we not played most of us hadn't played at a really high level of baseball, but now we're having to compete against men and use wooden bats. So, um, that was, we were breaking bats right and left and, and, you know, and, um, so I think we, I think that first year, I think we got six signature bats, I believe, and, um, six or eight. And once you broke them, I mean, it wasn't like you just got an endless supply. Right. So, yeah. um, after that first year, uh, they they realize hey in order for this to to make this a little more competitive um we need to you know we switched to aluminum and it was also more cost effective so we switched to aluminum and then things started to to level out and it helped us tremendously you know balls that i mean if you don't hit it right in the sweet spot you know and we don't have the upper body or the wrist and forearm strength that guys do you know balls that would would be hitting the gap would just kind of then die, you know? Right. So then we were able to start getting those extra base hits and, and, you know, having somebody at second base was truly like being in scoring position, you know, whereas before it wasn't, you know, necessarily. So, um, so, you know, we had, we had those minor sponsors that, you know, that helped out with, um, but the majority of the sponsorship obviously was, was from cores. And that's why we played, you know, we'd always make a trip to Colorado and, um, and play there. So, um, by the end of the four years, you know, like that third year, they, they were trying to cores was kind of, you know, really hoping that they would be able to scale back there and, and not take on the full brunt of the, uh, monetary, you know, support. Um, so they were looking at other companies that would come on board and, and they would divide it up. Um, one of them, probably the biggest one that was interested was, um, Kodak was the Kodak company up in, and they were out of Rochester, New York. And so 
there were several meetings there, but, um, you know, I mean, it sounds crazy, uh, just even 30 years later, but even back then they were, they were kind of worried about the stigma of being tied to a, um, a beer company, you know? So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a there were a lot of things that behind the scenes, you know, that, um, I, that I don't, I'm not even aware of. I mean, I, I went to some of the meetings and off seasons trying to help just to be a, you know, a re- representative, um, for the silver bullets. And, um, Bob was kind enough and Phil to, you know, sometimes invite me if, if they, you know, if they wanted to have a player rep, you know, just to talk about the experience and try and help promote it. So they could kind of put, you know, the faces and, and hear our story. And, um, so they've pulled back, you know, and, um, and so, you know, it just, it, 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 cores had done all they could do. And, and, um, that was it. So it was very sad, you know, it was, it was really emotional just to, because I was getting, I was in my late twenties and, you know, and starting to try and see, all right, am I going to move into, Phil had talked to me about that if the bullets, he really wanted the silver bullets to continue. And he, he wanted me to um, be a player coach and then move into, Mm -hmm. and then just be a coach and not play. And and I would have loved that. That would have been, I think really cool. Um, But I always wanted a family too. So, you know, my mom's always said, you can have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time, you know, (laughs) which I Mm -hmm. think is, is, you know, it's, it's a really wise way to look at things, you know? So I, I did, I got to live out my dream for four years and it was, it was wonderful. And, um, it was really hard and, um, at times, but, uh, I'm so thankful that, you know, I was able to do it and say, Hey, you know, I, I, I tried it and, um, I feel like I'm a better person for it. And the ladies that, that I played with are, you know, they will be lifelong, um, buddies and, Phil always told us whenever he would, you know, we'd go into cities and we'd have to do these promotional things. That was part of it. You know, when you signed your contract, you were, you were obligated to, um, you know, just represent cores and, and, um, just try and promote, not just our team, but to promote the product and to promote, um, just be a, a good spokesperson. Um, which is, so it taught us as individuals a lot about marketing and how things work and it's a big business. And, you know, but I remember the, I was telling a good friend the other day that the first year with, with spring training, um, that was in 94. And so it had been announced that women's softball was going to be in the 96 Olympics. That was the first year for it. And we had several women that, you know, they had played at, you know, all of us at most, for the most part, had played college softball. And there were several though, that were really interested in trying to make that 96 Olympic team. And, um, so they had a decision to make, they wouldn't, they considered it, um, the same thing. It wasn't separated baseball and softball. So they said that they would have, you know, relinquished their amateur status if they made the silver bullets and got paid. And so, wow we had to, we're sitting in this big ballroom the night before the the first day we step on the field and they had to make, we had to make a decision right there. Okay. Are you going to sign your contract or not? 
and some people were going back and forth and it just became, it was kind of heated and some of the, you know, and some of the coaches, not Phil and Joe, but you know, there were, it was just kind of, Hey, and, and I just wanted to play, you know, I mean, I, I loved baseball through and through and I knew I didn't have a shot at the Olympics and, you know, and, and, and even if I had, I, I would have chosen baseball. So I'm like, look, I, can I just go to bed? I'm sign my yeah. contract and I'm good, you know, but, but I understand from, you know, their perspective, it was, it was tough. You know, they had to um, make that decision. Um, one of our best pitchers, uh, Pamela Davis, we called her, her nickname was Pup. And uh, because when she, the first year she tried out, um, she was only 20 years old. So because she wasn't legal drinking age, that became an issue. You know, mm -hmm. when she came on and she was going to sign her silver bullets contract, it was okay. Well, what, how are we going to handle this? Um, because she, we're playing for a beer company. Um, we do promotions and bars. We do, uh, you know, so they, you know, they were able, she, she just, she couldn't go into the bars, you know, and do that, but she, she could luckily, thankfully for us, she was able to play because she was, she was a stud. She was top notch, but um, it was interesting, you know, that the first year we were doing, we would go into grocery stores. So if you can imagine where they have the beers set up, mm -hmm. you know, in the refrigerated section and you might see, you know, some cardboard statue or something, um, we would sit there and we'd sign autographs. We'd sign posters, oh. everything. <laughs> how, how crazy is that? You know, that's funny. It, you know, and as players, when you're trying to, um, you're going out and you're competing against a lot of these former major league players and minor league players that are rehabbing and, and we're sitting, you know, four hours before game time and we're sitting in a refrigerated section. <laughs> we're supposed to be, you know, rehabbing or, um, being warm, not, not freezing cold. So they kind of did a 180 on that the next year, you know, things got better with that. So it was a huge learning curve. You know, it was, okay, we want to promote this product. We want to keep it going, but we're also, we're killing these ladies. Like we're, you know, we, I mean, some of us look like we've been, you know, just, we were amazing at the end of the season, you know, you yeah. have to go into your season just as strong and as fit as you could, because once you came home, you would lose so much weight, so much muscle and just from the travel and the fatigue. Um, it was unreal. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I, th those are multi, like a bunch of things I didn't even think of the, the Olympics and the, the professional versus amateur status is like, it, it's something that it's almost like it, from a bygone era now, because all the Olympians mostly are sponsored athletes and they're, and, right. and so you don't, you kind of take that for granted when you look back. Um, but even the travel, they say that like major league baseball is a grind and, and professional baseball. And that is an example one right there that when you're finished with all the, the responsibilities for being a professional baseball player, you, you look like you've uh, been through the ringer really. So to speak, it's, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. I was, you know, I've been so blessed in my, in my career and um, just the people that have been put in my path and, I've been fortunate to work with um, Chip Smith. He he's a trainer here in um, the Atlanta area, and he trains um, mostly NFL athletes to get them ready for their combine. And he's phenomenal. He's he's 
world renowned. I mean, and so he's a member of, he's, he worked um, for the National Football Hall of Fame when they created the bubble during this whole COVID. He went up there and, and so when any time a player got hurt or they needed, you know, somebody to fill in, he was, he was helping, he stayed in this bubble. And so he was, um, he came and helped out with the silver bullets during spring training. Well, I hooked up with him because I'm from Atlanta when in my off season, um, I would come back and, and I asked him, I said, will you train me? You know, and, and, uh, he's, and he's just the kindest. He's, he's one of my dearest friends. He's just the, the neatest person. He, you need to get him on your podcast on because he is, he's got some stories. So he, um, he is, uh, he said, yeah, of course I will. And, um, so I was lucky enough to, to work out with him and he put on about, I, I put on probably about 10 or 12 pounds of muscle before, um, one of the seasons. And by the end of the season, when I came home and I, I saw him, he couldn't believe it. He said, what did you do? He said, what happened to my, my girl? He's like, you look like you've been in a concentration camp, you know, like it just was that demanding and that physically, and, and you wouldn't realize it, you know, because you think, okay, I'm playing these night games. I don't get, I don't step off the field until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock. And then I'm eating whatever I can find. Cause you remember we're, we're on the road. We don't have, there weren't Uber eats or, you know, there wasn't any of that. So it would either just be whatever was in the, the locker room, the clubhouse um, afterwards, a peanut butter and jelly or a late night pizza or something like that. You just had to make do. And then it was, you know, pack up and head to the next city. So um, it was, it was a grind and um, it, it was just fun though. You know, I mean, there were so many cities that we would pull into and um, you kind of have to do a double take and remind yourself Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm in Sioux Falls. Yeah. I don't, I don't really remember where I was supposed to be, but now I'm looking, okay, that's right. That's where, this is where we are. So, um, one time we checked in, in fact, in Sioux Falls, we, we checked into this motel and it was terrible. It was, uh, you know, just dirty and they had the, the they had the vibrating beds where you still oh. in. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we check in and, and, uh, Phil and Joe, they say, okay, we'll get, get changed. We're headed right to the park. to you know, to have a practice, to have a workout. So yeah. we just drop our bags and, you know, and change and get on the bus and we get to the, to the minor league park and we're, uh, we're warming up and we're, you know, we practice and everything and everybody's just kind of like, oh man, we got to go back to that motel. Oh. We get back on the bus and Phil says, okay, this is what's going to happen. Ladies, when you get back to the motel, you're going to pack up all your stuff and you're going to put it back on the bus said we we were at the we're at the wrong motel they we had somehow when when we got to the ballpark the two pr people were talking and somehow it, the reservation or something was mess, messed up and we were we ended up checking into the wrong hotel so <laughs> <laughs> they so stuck you in the, in the red hole night there but, uh, yeah typically how were the accommodations though when you girls were on the road I mean, they were fine, you know, I, um, I'm not, I'm not a real picky person. I mean, as long as there's, you know, it's, it's not too bad, but um, the sheets are clean and yeah, exactly. <laughs> bathrooms um, clean. There's no like crime scene strip or something. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Um, but, um, you know, we, we did play in some, in fact, that reminds me, we played in Little Rock, Arkansas and, um, at their minor league park and, um, and, 
there had been a lot of drive-by shootings mm-hmm. um, just, you know, prior to that. And, and like I said, Phil Necro, I mean, he treated us like daughters, you know, and, and um, we were, we were ball players and professionals, but we were like his daughters. And so that he never had. And so he told us on the bus, he said, you know, you do not leave the hotel. Cause we, like I said, we had to either take a cab, which costs money to go find something to eat or, you know, you walked. And so we did a lot of walking and he said, nobody leaves the hotel, you know, no, I mean, it was, uh, so that's really the only time I can remember that he, you know, I could tell he was very concerned and, but any other time, I mean, it was kind of, you checked into the hotel and, and then you were kind of on your own to fend for yourself. So that's uh, kind of an experience that it seems like you shared with, with men's minor league baseball players, because you hear a lot. I mean, I didn't know until the pandemic started that, that minor league baseball, minor leaguers really are not up until recently were not treated well with, with their nutrition and their right. sleep patterns. They still live like some one, I interviewed one guy, six or seven guys to a house and people are sleeping on couches and cots just because they're, they're making less than minimum wage. If you, if you count all the hours that are on the field. Yep. So I can only imagine back then with a with a team that was on a budget, some of the stuff you guys, you, you girls might have encountered. Anthony, was that even that yeah. even in AAA baseball too? They're being treated like that. Yeah, there's a chart. There's a chart you can find. That, the, there's a place called Advocates for Minor Leaguers as uh-huh. a website and a, a kind of like a, a union, and they have a chart that is that lists kind of what each level makes uh, on average, and it's it's shockingly low and then i mean since major league baseball restructured uh the minor leagues this past a few months ago i think they're trying to change that but uh, it's probably a slow process so going back 30 years uh i, I cannot imagine what what the, the silver bullets must have been going through and, and shannon you spoke a lot about it already yeah you're right and we actually um it's sad to say but we were treated sad to say for the minor leaguers you know in fact, there was some, they couldn't believe that we made what we made. You know, we made a lot more than, um, you know, than, than the majority of the minor league um, wow. guy players. So, and, and our accommodations were um, a lot of times really great. And then, you know, sometimes not so great, but fine. I mean, like I said, I was getting to, to do something extraordinary and live out my dream. So um, I was okay with it. Um, you know, it's, but yeah, a lot of those guys, they, it's, uh, um, cause we, we had to fly a lot of places, you know, and those guys don't fly. I mean, you know, it's sack lunch and, um, Buses. You know, get on the bus. And so, right. um, but, uh, it was, you know, it, you did see, it became where the, the second, third, and by the fourth year, you know, the first season, they were just trying to put together a schedule. So we were kind of like a bug on water. We may play on the East coast one day. And then two days later we're at San Antonio and then we're in Cal, you know, and, and, and they realize like that, you know, that's not going to work. That's just it's too much jet lag and, and, um, everything. So the, but, you know, I, I thinking now, like after nine 11, um, even back then we didn't, nobody liked to, to fly because flying, you have to deal with a whole nother, you know, just security and just the amount of trying to box everything up and pack it up. So if you could drive, it was so much easier, you know, so we kind we tried to stay regional, you know, we would fly into a region and then kind of, you know, like, um, we played Rochester, Binghamton, New York, we kind of work our way around, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 
we even played up on the like where the guys go in the summer and play in the Cape Cod League. Um, we had yep. we had host families, and so um, you know, which was interesting because you know we're we're uh, you know we're mature young women and that have been out on our own and living on our own, and then now we're in with these host families that um, it's kind of like okay, what <laughs> you, know, you, feel, you feel kind of. Um, awkward you know asking on what time what time do we need to be home or you know curfew. What, you want, yeah you <laughs> back to high to, school right you didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings or you know yeah. but it was uh and then one time we played in 95 we actually played um we got to go out on the um uss eisenhower they just brought it i think it had just retired so it was a naval aircraft carrier and um that was one of the coolest things i think um i've always just had a big admiration for any service um, men and women. And so um, we stayed actually in the barracks, you know, and they had us, um, it was just, it was crazy. We got to go, you know, on there and, and they gave us this huge tour and just to see the amount of machinery and, and um, just computerized. I mean, and that was in 95. And they told me the guy, the, the admiral that was walking us around said that the average age on that ship was 19 years old. Whoa. I mean, you know, so to think, I mean, I I just think it's just something like that, 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 you know, we got to experience just because we played the game of baseball and we loved it, you know, um, that I think that, I think every American should have to do something like that and see what, you know, what these what the people that are fighting for us, you know, um, go through and, and they're the true heroes. And, you know, so just things like that, that, that I never would have gotten to experience otherwise, um, just is, is a real, uh, kind of pinning moment in my memory, you know, with the silver bullets. Hmm. Speaking of memories, um, we, we actually talked about a couple games, you know, a lot in our last episode, um, what was for you, what was the most memorable game you played in? Um, gosh, uh, they all seem to, you know, the older you get, the, you know, you just have kind of these, it's almost like watching your life kind of flash before your eyes and you have just different, you know, things that, that are nostalgic for you. Um, getting to play in the old Fulton County stadium, um, that was the brave stadium, um, that was, that was huge. I, um, you know, that's my hometown. Mm-hmm. My grandmother actually got to come. That was the first game she'd ever seen me play. Not, she never saw me play even as a little girl. So it's my mom's mom, my nanny, she was there at that game. Um, I got heat exhaustion, like heat stroke. So it's wow. memorable for that. Um, just because it was, it was about 95 degrees, I think, and almost hundred wow. percent humidity. And I don't remember my last two at bats. Um, I, was oh, wow. I was completely out of it. And uh, so I, I just remember thinking, cause these games were, a lot of them were televised. And um, I remember thinking, just don't throw up on TV. Don't go up there. <laughs> <You> <laughs> oh, know? Man. So, um, that one was memorable. And um, uh just different there's different ones that you know um like playing in uh some of the newer minor league parks we played at lake elsinore out in california and um laura espinoza watson hit a ball like 400 feet the dead center 
Um, she was, yeah, she played softball at University of Arizona and she was a stud and she was, um, she was so fun. You know, I'd, I'd tell her I'd, I'd, I'd have to work. I was always a better defensive player than a, than a hitter. And, and I loved defense and, um, you know, I was never a power hitter. And so I'd ask her, I'd say, How, you know, Laura, tell me what you do. What's your secret? And she'd say, Mitch, just go warm up on deck with two bats. <laughs> that was <pretty laughs> coaching to me. <laughs> Somehow that's not going to work for me. Like, you know, but yeah. super technical. Yeah. So, um, but you know, there were some, there were a lot of, a lot of fun, just, I think probably just getting to meet some of the big league players, you know, we played at candlestick, oh. um, got to meet Barry Bonds and, and he was the nicest guy. Um, and Vita blue was one of their coaches and I grew up loving Vita blue. So I got to talk to him. And so it was more just moments, I think more so than, you know, thinking, you know, okay, it's just this one particular game. Right. Um, but um, there were some, there were some really great, just peaceable um, memories that that's crossed my mind where, you know, once again, like you think the media, the media is, you know, hasn't always liked Barry Bonds, but he was always, he was so kind to us and um, getting to meet Cal Ripken. He was, he's one of my favorites um childhood heroes and got to meet him and watch that was when he was you know he was on the verge of we everybody knew he was going to break the record so just how he interacted with the fans um I watched him sign autographs we were playing before their game and fans are hanging over the fence and asking him you know for an autograph and he would meticulously sign his name and then blow on it if it was a Sharpie, blow on it so it wouldn't smear and then <laughs> hand it back, you know. And you think like, okay, a lot of people might just sign it and hand it back, but that's that's his brand. You know, like when you think about it from a pers- perspective of, well, he's not going to, he's treating even his signature with the kind of respect and, you know, and, and meticulousness that he's, that he's treated his career, you know. So um, just things like that that I think, you know, from, it's almost like I had an insider seat, you know, to, um, to the game above and beyond just actually getting to step on the field and play, um, which was, was really there, cool. Um, yeah. Was there a field, um, or is there one today that you didn't either didn't get to play at, or was built afterwards that you wish you had played at, or that you would still like to visit? Oh, definitely. We, uh, I was telling my husband this other day that he didn't realize he didn't know. We, we always, we had, um, one of my dearest friends on the team, Pamela Shafrath. Um, she has the greatest nickname, nickname in all of sports. Her nickname for us that we called her was snack bar. <laughs> she <laughs> okay. was eating all the time. She That's fantastic. Like, yeah. And just the greatest, I mean, the most positive player, just a stud, just, you know, she played, actually played high school football, um, on the line wow. with her twin brother. Wow, wow. that's a story. He played on one and yeah. And then when there was the women's professional football league, she played on that after and won a championship. So she's from Chicago and played softball, college softball at Drake. And um, she was one of the ones that played all four years with me. And she's now a police officer in Chicago. And so, of course, I grew up, I, you know, I love the Cubs. She loved the Cubs. And we always wanted to play in Wrigley. We never got to play there, but 
the reason why was they're a they're a Budweiser stadium. Uh, oh. So that goes back to our sponsorship. Like you don't think about that, but a lot of these ballparks, they you know, obviously St. Louis, I mean, they're Anheuser Busch. So right. you know, they're like, Oh heck no, we're not letting the silver bullets <laughs> a lot of the silver bullets aren't coming in here and signing autographs and you know, we're not gonna have the cores silver bullet you know bottle um anywhere near um our stadium and uh so that's that was probably the biggest part that um or the my most uh I, i've never been there that's one stadium I, i've never been so um, same here i, but, I would love yeah, to Rig, see i've been to wrigley a couple too. times it's yeah. it's so nice it's so fun to see a game like the whole wrigleyville yeah. area it's just like bar after bar after bar and people are just having yeah. a great time it's such a cool atmosphere there. Well, you guys will have to Atlanta now with Truist Park. It's, it's nice. It's like that. It's, you know, there's so many restaurants and bars down there and places, you know, shops, and it's really nice just to walk around. And, um, so, um, it's kind of, it's kind of trying to, I think, to develop that kind of tradition and history, you know, right. I'll but, be I'll uh, be visiting my sister in Atlanta um, in a couple in a probably sometime this summer, so might take you up on that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Let me know and and I'll get us tickets and we'll we'll go. But um, yeah, the the um, one story I wanted to tell you about the whenever we'd have to go and sign autographs or you know we would we'd show up at every ballpark and when you walk into the clubhouse and you're you know putting your bag down and hanging up your you know your stuff your um, there would be dozens and dozens of silver bullets balls on the tables. And before you left there, you'd, you'd have to sign those. So it'd be for, it was just for, who knows where all those balls are now, you know, it's for marketing purposes for, you know, whomever was um, affiliated with that, you know, that they were, but that's, that's just what we did. So you know, the grind of baseball and, you know, in your hand, you're getting a hand cramp and you're thinking, oh, I need to, I really need to go get my whatever taped, my ankle taped or um, get ready for this game. But I got to sign these like five dozen baseballs, you know, <laughs> and, uh, wow. and, and try and be as meticulous as Cal Ripken Jr., you know, but uh, <laughs> um, so that's, that was just one of the things that, that we, that we did, you know, that's, um, that a lot of people probably I think I think would find interesting you know that um I mean think about pro ball players now like you know I don't know many that will go out before and actively engage fans or you know obviously with COVID that's that's all changed but um you know it, it's if you see a, a player that does that and you know and stays after the game and and will try and sign an autograph that's rare that's really rare so um I think that's what fans want, you know, they just want to, to be able to engage their, their favorite player and, and uh, talk to them and um, just say hi. So um, it's really cool when you see ones that, that get that, you know, it is, it's, that's one of my favorite memories as a child, like growing up that I'll always remember and what effect it has on, on like being a parent now, what an effect it has on kids when I was probably, nine ten years old we went to a, a Red Sox game with one of my friends and there were we were we had pretty good seats but the two seats that are now this is before the new owners at, at the Red Sox and before those two seats next to the Red Sox dugout were like the place to be seen and they were empty because the Red Sox weren't great at that time so we went down 
we got to sit there and before the game, Nomar Garcia Parra was signing autographs and everything. And so he signed a, signed a baseball for me. And then during the game, we were sitting right there with our little like, um, co- like disposable Kodak cameras leaning over and taking pictures. And he was like posing in the dugout and stuff <laughs> like that. And it made my, it made my like year. I mean, I still think about that. And the crazy thing, he lives in the, uh, the town where, where I live now. And so I've seen him a couple of times and I, I haven't had the, um, the, the wherewithal to be like, can't you, you like, you pose and stuff, but uh, you, you signed my baseball and it made my, like, <laughs> made my year as a kid, but it's kind of crazy and the impact that has, because I still remember it so clearly. You do. I, you do. And I mean, that's what's so cool. And, and Nomar, you know, he was, I think I mentioned that, you know, we had our spring trainings down in Fort Myers and, and one year he had hurt his hamstring. And so he was rehabbing and I was, I was in the, I was in the training room for, some, for something and he was on the table next to, to mine and, and he played at Georgia Tech and, you know, and I'm, a, I'm an Atlanta person. So he's just such a nice, nice guy. And, and then, you know, um, later on, somehow I, um, we ended up, I think, wherever we were playing, the Red Sox were playing and he actually came and got a ball, you know, and people were getting balls signed and, um, and he grabbed the ball and he said, you know, I'll sign an autograph for you, for y'all, but I want y'all's autograph. So he actually went around and got, and Mark Grace with the Cubs did the same thing. You know, it was, it was really, you know, so it was, it was kind of like, you know, they said one day I might have a daughter and, and I want, I want a silver bullets ball, you know, and uh, which was really cool. Um, So, but. Well, well, yeah. Watching Cubs games back in the day, Mark Grace always seemed like such a nice guy. Like, I don't know, just his persona and like how he was in interviews it yeah. just seemed like really down to earth. Yeah, he he was. He was very, very nice. And um, I mean, really all of most of those guys, I mean, I don't remember. I don't remember ever um, being in the dugout with any of those big league guys and them and any of them, you know, being rude or kind of, you know, like what what are you yeah. they were just support. I mean, you know, I think they they know how hard I mean they're there and they're trying to stay there, you know, mm-hmm. at the highest level and they know how hard it is. So I think they had a little bit of respect and, um, or hopefully a lot of respect that we were willing to go out there and, and, you know, and just because we love the game and, um, we're trying to, to get better and, and, um, and, and playing it the right way, you know, not, try, not trying to, yeah, we weren't as talented as them, but we weren't trying to disrespect the game. We were just trying to to do something we love and and um and get better. So, um, but the the sponsorship with the with Coors was, I mean, we wouldn't have gotten to do that. And uh, um, another one of my dear friends, um, uh, she's with Fox. Well, I guess it's Root Sports now. She's up in. Do you know Angie Menti? Have Have you heard she follows? She covers the the Seattle Mariners and she played with the silver bullets for a couple of years and, um, she's a good friend of mine and, um, and she's, she's hilarious. Uh, she's, she does a great job. She's covered the Mariners for years and years. And, um, so she and I, we were, we were really good friends in, in, uh, her first year and, um, you know, we were young and single. And so whenever we'd have to do, you know, we'd have to go and sign autographs and, and bars, you know, maybe the day before our game or, or, um, and so one night we said, okay, well, you know, Phil said, Angie, Shannon, do you, you know, do you guys want to go? And we said, yeah, we'll, we'll go. We'll be the, you know, 
and um, we'll be the representatives. We'll go, we'll go do our part. Okay. Well, I may have to drink a couple of Coors Lights, but we'll do it, you know, <laughs> twist our arms. So, <laughs> so we go to this bar and um, we come in and we can't find who, you know, they had told us who to, to look for. And so we check in and, and they said, well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you, you know, where you're supposed to be, but why aren't you in, why aren't you in costume? Like what, where, why are y'all wearing this? We just had on, you know, just our <laughs> regular clothes and we're looking at each other like, what? We've never had to wear our uniform to an autograph sign. Like we just always, you know, might wear a silver bullets t-shirt or something, but we don't wear our full on uniform. We're just kind of scratching our heads, you know, and looking at, and they said, well, and the guy was getting really mad at us. And so oh, wow. um, he said, well, I don't know. I'll go find out, you know, I, the, um, and so come, come to find out, he thought we were like the silver bullet girls, like the, the beer, the beer oh. girls that are going to work the beer cart or something. <laughs> That's and hilarious. He, I thought she was going to punch him. And so <laughs> he comes back and he was like, oh, you're the silver bullets players. And so, yeah, <laughs> a roundabout oh, way. We're finally, I mean, it was just, just things like that. You know, it was like every, it was, it was just it was just pure chaos a lot of times you know when we just show up at cities and you had no idea what you were going to run into i mean and, right. and uh, for the most part it was just so it was just a fly by the seat of your pants and you know and hope for the best and then uh you had to have a really short memory to um to let a lot of it go but it was so much fun so you mentioned well, yeah, it's a, you. Kind of, you mentioned a former teammate that that works for the Mariners now. Are you still? And and then the also you talked about um, your former teammate that's a cop in Chicago now. Are you still connected with any of your teammates? Currently? Yeah, we. Um, you know, I I stayed off of Facebook and uh, for a long time, and um, mm -hmm. just just I was just busy, and I just um, you know I'm I'm pretty private, and um, so my sister and um she would always say oh you know you need to get on there and so i finally did and but it was great because i reconnected with my college teammates and then i was able to reconnect with um with almost all of the silver bullets and that's you know, great and keep track so we um sadly we were planning a reunion and um and we were and nuxy was a part of it and i created um i i created a group me chat and added all the silver bullets, you know, and so we were shooting for, we were shooting for June. Um, we had started planning it in like February, uh, right before COVID hit. And um, so, you know, it's, it's very um, devastating for me that we're not, you know, that, that when we do our reunion, that our skipper won't be there. Um, Phil Necro won't be there, but um, you know, we're still planning something. Hopefully, we're either shooting for this fall or next spring training, probably, probably next spring training. We're trying to, to have a get together where there's a lot of California ladies. And, um, and so we're not sure, we're not sure how it's going to look. We may meet up at a spring training somewhere, either in Florida or Arizona. That'd be um, fun. Yeah. So, but it's been great. We, you know, we tell stories over the group me, which was hilarious because Phil was part of it. I mean, you know, he would send, he would just, he would just have like, you know, one sentence banner and he would just throw something out there and, and we'd all just be dying laughing. It was just like, he was talking to us, you know, and that was, that was Nuxie. He would, you know, you might just be, 
getting on the bus and he'd come by and, and say something silly or goofy, you know, and, and that's what he would do on this, on this group chat. He would just, you know, um, he always called, he and Joe, they called the, the bar, the library. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, the first season, all of us were kind of scratching our heads and, you know, cause we'd, we'd get off the practice field and, you know, get back to the hotel and shower and, and you'd see them, they would be dressed and ready to go to dinner. And they're like, well, we're going to the library. We'll see y'all later. We're going to go, we're going to go check out some books. And, and everybody's kind of like, what, what's he talking about? Like what, what library is open at, you know, nine o'clock at night. So yeah, it's been a good, um, it's, it's a good joke that now everybody, you know, we said, we said, well, he and Joe now are, they're, uh, they're enjoying the library and, and reading a bunch of good new books together. So that's fantastic. So it sounds like some just great memories yeah. that, you, that you, your, you and your teammates are all hold on to. So that's awesome. So uh, I know you're a, you're a big baseball fan, obviously played professional baseball. What are you, what are your feelings on the, on the state of baseball today and just the, the way the game is? Do you like it? Do you, do you still watch? Are you, uh, are there, do you wish some things would change? How, how do you feel about it? Um, I love baseball. So, you know, I think, um, you know, they could be playing, um, who knows, they could be playing on the moon and I would still watch them. Um, you know, a lot of people that love baseball, love to play baseball, say, I can't stand to watch it, I, but I love baseball. I'll watch it, you know, I'll put it on and it doesn't matter who's playing. I'll, I'll watch it. Um, but I, I would consider myself probably more old school, you know, I think, um, you know, just the, I'm just more of that mentality. Um, I'm not sure about the whole shifts thing, you know, I mean, that, that, that just still throws me for a loop. I kind of almost have like a twitch, you know, like, Oh God, what are they doing? You know, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the shortstop just caught a ball and, you know, shallow right field and, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mm. mean, but it's fine. It's part of the game. The whole analytics thing does fascinate me, you know, um, my brother and I, my brother, um, you know, we talk sports a lot and, um, we were talking, in fact, one of my childhood coaches in softball, he was Mr. Analytics before you had even heard that word. So his, um, name was Mr. Morgan and he looked like an accountant, you know, he'd sit in our dugout and he had this binder, um, with pages and pages of stats and everything that he would keep. And he was, they were from New York, the family, um, uh, big Catholic family. And his daughter was two years older than me and, and played on, on my team. And I remember Mr. Morgan telling me, he's like, well, Shannon, that's great. You can pull the ball, but let me see you hit it to right field. You know, <laughs> I remember him telling me that when I was about 14 years old and I, was like, I, I don't know how to do that. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, but he was the great, you know, so I, I've often wondered where his binders are, like if his, you know, if his family kept all of his binders. So, you know, I, I think it's really cool that um, in that sense, um, somebody told me in baseball probably 10 or 15 years ago that um, the Yankees, you know, were on the cutting edge, I think of that. And they said that they, that their scouts had scouts. So they had scouts studying you know, the tendencies of their scouts, you know, looking at okay, right. this scout is right. You know, he, he kind of does the same ranking and the same, um, you know, recruiting or profiling of certain players. And so 
I found that extremely interesting that, you know, they even have people, you know, doing kind of a checks and balances of, of the people that you're supposed to be trusting. And, you know, and so it's just a, it's, it's just the way it is, you know, I think it's, um, sometimes it can be too much information. You know, I think uh, me personally, as a player, I think that would be, that would be really hard in this to try and focus on, all right, you know, my physical tools have got me here and as well as my mental um, capacity, but now I, I'm, I've got to study even more information. And then I think sometimes, you know, you just need to go out there and play. And um, I, th- I think that would be really difficult as a player to, to be able to manage that. Well, the, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, the, the early analytics guy and his like, well, you, can you hit to, uh, can you hit to the opposite field? Because you also mentioned the shift and it's amazing that major league baseball players refuse to uh, just bunt to a, or try to <laughs> bunt to an empty position on the field when they're doing the shift to the point where people are discussing, like, maybe you have to outlaw right. the shift and stuff. It's 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 crazy that that early that he thought of that. Yeah, it is, and you know, and you wonder, um, you know, where's it going to be in another twenty years? You know, are we going to go back? Is it going to go full circle? And like you're saying, because you know, a lot of times it would just be easy to, hey, let's lay down a drag and and uh, you know, get on base. But I think there's still part of that old school baseball. I mean, look at look at the uproar over Tony Larusa. You know, oh, yeah. that, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy that, um, but you know, old school baseball is, you know, you just, you know, you just don't show people up and you don't, you know, and there's, there's a certain unspoken rule and, and, uh, professionalism. And so, you know, I'm not saying I'm on one side or the other. I, I, I feel, you know, it's, but you know, it's, it's kind of just baseball. I mean, that's, you know, things have progressed and, and that's, um, this kind of goes back to what I was saying in, in the part one about, you know, throwing a breaking ball every pitch, you know? Okay. Well, eventually let's have the guts to throw a fastball. I mean, you know, that's what Phil would, would tell the guys, you know, pitching against us like, okay, well, you know, throw a fastball now. So, you, you know, so, um, right. but you know, it's, everybody it's I think that if it, if you're on the winning side then you're okay with it you know if it's on your you know how that goes it's like an ebb yeah. and flow if, if your team is the one that's um that's having it happen to maybe you're not so keen with it but if it's not you then you know maybe you don't like it um but uh I, I think it's just uh I think it's fun I think a lot of the young guys you know are are um that are really energetic and um it, that that's fun for the game, you know, for all those people that say that, you know, that baseball can be boring. Um, everybody likes to see home runs. So, you know, I think that the big bombers and, you know, when they come up and, and they, they get excited and, um, you know, I think that, I think that that can be good for the sport. You know, I still want to see people run out of a ball to first base. I can't stand that. That's probably my <laughs> biggest pet peeve. <laughs> How about how about all the strikeouts though this year? Yeah, that's just crazy. That's it's like it is crazy. Yeah, and it's just not something. I guess it's been progressing these last 10, 15 years to this, but I'm, it's just how many no hitters have there been this year? Like an insane amount for yeah. how early the seasons we're into into the season. So I know it's one thing I, I know is I find that interesting too, and you know, and um, you know, the people said, okay, well, the ball's juiced, or you know. Uh, for more home runs but what do you say what do you equate that to you know like the yeah. I mean, all the strike I mean I just I, 
course, more guys are throwing 95, 96. I mean, that's just routine. You know, that's what's <laughs> crazy. Is, right. uh, I mean, when somebody, I was telling my son the other day, you know, 90 is fast. I mean, it is, it's smoking. And so I can't even imagine 95, 96, 97. Probably the fastest that we faced was a guy, we were playing in Columbia, South Carolina, and it was, it was basically like the equivalent of like a double A team. It was a lot of guys that were rehabbing and maybe had gotten released from their team mm-hmm. and were trying to pick up with another team. And so, I mean, they were unbelievable. This, and the guy was throwing, he was probably throwing 91, 92. And um, I saw the first pitch and I stepped out of the batter's box and I <laughs> looked back at the catcher. And <laughs> of course it was a game on TV and I was like, holy cow. And I was like, <laughs> can you have him I said can you have him slow that down just a little bit and, yeah. uh, and the catcher was so nice he goes all right he goes this next one's gonna be right down the middle and and you know part of me I'm thinking oh he's just messing with me you know mm. it's gonna be some big hook or it, you know it's gonna be a slider and so I just had to trust it I was like okay I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and I'm gonna start swinging as soon as his arm goes back and I did and I actually made contact and I hit it I didn't get a hit but I, I actually made contact and nice. mean, it was just, yeah. So, I mean, it is, it's smoking when it's coming in there like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a lot, a lot of the strikeouts obviously. is Right. Is um, I, I wanted to ask you a question, a quick question before we wrap up here. Do you, do you see, or has there been any talks of the silver bullets being um, inducted into the baseball hall of fame? Uh, well, we actually, we had a, um, in 95, they, uh-huh. um, we had a ceremony oh. at the baseball hall of fame. Yeah. And they, they had a, they have a, um, they had a section there, but the way that the hall of fame works is they rotate, you know, some of the exhibits. I haven't, I have not been up there since, Phil was inducted in 97. Um, but friends of mine and former teammates have, have gone through there and they still have a, one of our bats. Um, one of my friends who's unfortunately no longer with us, she played the first year Ann Williams Planus, um, her bat. And Mm. I believe her Jersey is there. Um, now it may not be in the exhibit, you know, all the time, like I said, I think they rotate them and I don't know how that works, but um, there has been some talk amongst myself and, you know, my teammates that we feel like that it should be there permanently, you know, that it's not something that, you know, because there is a women's section. Um, I feel, you know, I mean, they have, we have a nice certificate, nice letter that says we're recognized by the national baseball hall of fame. Um, -hmm. you know, as far as actually being inducted, you know, um, uh, I don't, I don't know about that. I think, you know, I think that, I think that we should be in the exhibit though, without a doubt, you know, I feel like that, um, that we, we've earned that spot, you know, um, right. they need an exhibit like you have on your wall back there. <laughs> yeah. That's lot, awesome. <laughs> I have a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Um, there's, um, here, I have a bunch of stuff from that Phil, that was his induction. Oh, it's a cool. picture from the day um that he was inducted so what an awesome uh, picture yeah but it's uh you know one of these days I would like to get back um just because Cooperstown such a it's a really cool place 
um, the probably the, the you know it was funny when when Phil was inducted. Um, my favorite player growing up with the Braves, other than Phil, was Bob Horner, and um, he played third, and I played third. I wore number five a um, few years um, because he wore number five, and when I was 12 years old, talking about you getting Nomar's autograph, you know, I was the same way. I didn't get to go to a lot of Braves games, but anytime I did, I always wanted to get there early. I wanted to be, you know, one of the first ones in the ballpark. I wanted to watch batting practice. I wanted to watch pregame, you know, infield, outfield. And, um, and the, I tried to get his autograph. That's, you know, and he was injured a lot. He was one of their, you know, big hitters, but he had broken his wrist. And, and so, um, I never, Randy Johnson was his backup. So I had this big, you know, photo album of, I kept articles of him and, you know, I was just a huge fan. So I, I had taken that big scrapbook and I wanted to have him sign it. So I walked down to the dugout and I, I, I reach over and I said, can you, you know, can you please ask, you know, Mr. Horner if he'll sign this for me. And so the, <laughs> so the scrapbook comes back to me and Horner hasn't signed it, but Randy Johnson has signed it, it you know, as backup. I was so mad. I, I was, I was <laughs> livid. And, and, you know, after playing pro ball and how those guys are and, you know, and, and probably Horner's probably sitting there, either he's not even in the dugout or either he's sitting there and he's probably like, shoot, I'm not playing. I'm hurt. Why don't you sign it? You're playing right now. You know, just, <laughs> you know, you sign it and not realizing that, you know, I, I was devastated. So fast forward, you know, 15 years and I'm at Phil Necro's induction ceremony in Cooperstown and I spot Bob Horner from afar. And he, and I mean, I'm sure he thought that this crazy lady is coming. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, you know, we're, we're, it's after the ceremony, we're all kind of filing out of there and um, I see him and I think, holy cow, this, you know, I'm like that 12 year old kid again, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to get his autograph. I'm just at least going to go shake his hand. I don't, you know, I may not get his autograph. I don't even care at this point. You know, like I said, I wasn't really big on autographs, you know, when I was playing, I just wanted to talk to them. So I, I go up to him and I say, it's taken me 15 years, you know, to even get to meet you. And he's just looking at me like, I, I have no idea who you are and what, you know, so, um, I was so devastated though, cause he just, he was just very kind of aloof, you know? So they had this, um, after ceremony, um, reception for Phil. And so we're all there, all the silver bullets are there. And, uh, and Bob's there with his wife and his kids. And, um, he comes over to my table and he sits down cause I thought, well, I'm not going up to him again. I've already humiliated myself. I'm not about to try, to try that again, you know? And so, um, he came over and, and I think then he realized he was like, okay, she's, she's a silver bullet. She's, you know, she actually does know Phil. And, um, but he was one of the few, uh, former teammates of Phil that, that had, um, that came to the ceremony. So that was probably one of the coolest things was just getting to finally, you know, after all those years, I finally got to get that Bob Horner autograph and actually just, you know, talk to him. So, um, that is, that's awesome. Yeah. That is really cool. <laughs> also for the, uh, for the, the fans listening who might, who might not, uh, who might be confused by the Randy Johnson disappointment, 
disappointment. This is not Randy Johnson, the pitcher. This is yeah. Randy Johnson. Yeah. The third I was baseman. confused a little bit on that one. Were you really? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. For you youngsters, see, I, the people that are uh, Atlanta, Atlanta people, Randy Johnson was a backup utility. Yep. And so that's who uh, played behind Bob whenever he was, he was injured, he filled in. So that's whose autograph I have on that big scrapbook. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's like, I've got a ball signed by um, Wilton Veras who played for the Red Sox for maybe like a half a season and people see it and they're like, what's that? What's that autograph? I'm like, don't even, don't worry about it. You've never heard of the guy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. So I know. And I even have, you know, talking about we, when we played the Hollywood um, star Sox. I have a ball signed by them and, and um, Dean Kane was one of them. And, but I can't even read, I can't even read the other, like Jonathan Silverman. Well, you know, he was, he was one of them. He was a really nice guy, but the other, the other ones I can't even read and I don't even remember who they are, you know? So, um, but you know, we faced, uh, we played in Louisiana at a minor league park and um, you know, I'm, I'm on deck and I'm, you know, warming up and I'm like, who is that guy? I know that guy. What? This guy's throwing good. I don't know. It was Ron Guidry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy cow. So that's kind of, yeah, just a, <laughs> when you look at our record, just understand who we're facing. I don't care if, if Ron Guidry was 30 or 60, he could bring it. And he was not about to let us. He was, I don't think he took too kindly that we were, um, I think he didn't like uh, that women were trying to play baseball. Just that's what we gathered. Oh dear. And yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> so, which was fine, you know. In uh, he pretty much proved that um, he he was uh, one of the greatest of his time. So, <laughs> uh, that I mean, we did play um, a lot of characters. One of the probably one of the most fun games, you know, going back to Louisiana. It was a um, it was a different one, um, not the Ron Guidry, but. We played um, a team that was mostly comprised of uh, the minor league hockey players. Oh, that, and that, <laughs> Andrew and I are big. Oh, Andrew yeah. and I are big hockey fans and and kind of hockey media people. So this is good. We're gonna love this. You would have loved it. So yeah. So we, um, you know, we had we were in Louisiana, and so um, they had this huge crawfish broil for us the the night before, and um, and so we kind of we had like we were at this little bar area where they did the boil and, um, and we ate and then, you know, we're signing autographs. And, and so Angie and I, you know, we're just kind of hanging out at the bar and these guys keep messing with us, you know, and just, and we're like, like, we're just, you know, we just want to hang out and have a good time. Just leave us alone, you know, and come to find out they were two of the hockey players <laughs> that we were going to be playing the next day. <laughs> and so, but they were really nice. They ended up being really nice. And, um, but I've always said that hockey players are, are, probably the best all around athletes there are. I, me personally, that's what, you know, that you talk about their endurance and hand-eye coordination and just physicality. And I mean, they're unbelievable. So, you know, to think that they're going to go out and play baseball and stink it up. Nah, no, it's, I mean, they were, they were good, you know, and um, it was fun though. They just had a great attitude and just, you know, they knew that, it was, it was just, I think it was fun for them to do something totally different than, you know, being on ice. And, and uh, so that was a, that was a really memorable game. It was, it was a lot of fun. I don't even remember the name of that. I mean, I guess I could look it up, but it was in must the, have been a blast. <laughs> yeah. even, it was even being from, I mean, even being from Canada, a lot of like Sidney Crosby played catcher in high school for uh, played baseball. I mean, he played baseball high school. He went to high school in the United States, but 
uh, it's crazy the crossover. But I mean, I, I think I think that'll do it for our questions. Is there anything you wanted to add before we uh, before we wrap it up? No, that's it. Thank y'all so much. That's, it's been fun. Yeah, thank you. It was a it, great. We had a yeah. This has been such a fun two part conversation. I mean, I, we could honestly talk more about this. It, it's so interesting to hear. Um, <laughs> But thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. I mean, it's been it's been quite a chunk of time over the two hours, and I, I know you're super busy. So thank you very much. We appreciate it. You're thank you, welcome. Shannon. Anytime. Thank you all. Uh, like I said before, thanks for uh, thanks for bringing the the bullets, you know, back to life a little bit. So it's been fun. No problem. Happy to do it. Well, that'll do it for the part two of episode twenty one. Thanks a lot, Shannon and Andrew, my co-hosts, for coming on today, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. Bye.